lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Hey, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yerde. And we are going through Joel. Hey, so check this out. Joel has one of my favorite verses in it. And it's not my favorite verse because it like means anything to me special as far as like God really spoke to me in it. But it reminds me of my childhood growing up in church. Okay. So it's Joel chapter two. It's verse one. It says, blow the trumpets in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. And then in verse 9, it says, they rush up on the city, they run on the wall, they climb into the houses like these in the windows, but that part isn't part of it. But uh, those first two parts that I read is this song that we used to sing growing up in church, and probably because I grew up Pentecostal, it was more lively in that whole realm, because uh, they had like a big old a guy playing the trumpet and everything, blow the trumpet in Zion. That's cool. Yeah, and... Uh, it was just this loud, they rush on the city, they run on the wall, and then it would follow as great as the army of the Lord. But it was just such a cool reminder, and I didn't know that that was in the book of Joel until we started reading it, that that's where it says that. And so the blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Are you telling me that you forgot it was in the book Probably more that I forgot that it was in the book of Joel. I'm, I'm trying to play into this forgotten oh, book of Joel. Oh, yeah, I see yeah. what you're doing now. Yeah. I'm sitting here trying to think, like, why does my face feel hot? And I'm so, <laughs> the whole time you were talking about that, in the back of my mind, it was like, <laughs> you totally started the first time. <laughs> Welcome to the Proud Crest. <laughs> so I'm feeling like I'm all happy about, like, your childhood experience. I'm like, no, just no one else know that you couldn't yeah. talk a second ago. So the beauty of recording a podcast is you get to leave the mistakes out. But Murdoch decided to bring my mistakes <laughs> into this one. Was it, it was physically staying with me. It was good. I started off saying, welcome to your church friend, Brabrash. But no, that, that is cool. I think that to make things fun, not just for kids, not just for Pentecostals, but those types of experiences that draw us in, right? Yeah. That's good. I think there should be more of that. The creativity and just being able to get... It was, they rush on the city, they run on the wall, great is the army that carries out his word. Mm. That, I believe, were the correct lyrics of that. Anyone who grew up old Pentecostal might have corrected us from that if they listened. But yeah, that, that was the song. It was super cool, though. It, and it was like, yeah, just energetic and loud. I might have to find some YouTube link of someone playing it and, and put that up there. But yeah, I think if we were even like looking at how do we encompass like the bible into something that is attractive for kids i remember growing up to listening to salty do you remember salty the big old purple bible yes and it wasn't salty like salt it was spelled with like like psalms Psalms. yeah Yeah. and you know they would sing this sing songs and a lot of them were straight from like biblical Mm -hmm. or the bible like words or verses from the bible so i I remember that and i don't really know if there's any much of that going on um, because I'm not a kid and listening to kids tapes anymore. Yeah, I think it kind of tapped out with me with uh, Veggie Tales. Ah, uh, like yeah. That was kind of the last stuff that existed with that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Kids, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're looking at Joel part two. In the last one we did, we kind of studied a little bit of it. We kind of answered some questions of what do we know about Joel? What period was Joel a prophet? Uh, what are the locusts represent and where do we see them more in the Bible? And then we touched on what is the day of the Lord, which is going to 
I don't want to say it is going to be a central theme of this season, but it seems like it's almost in every book we're going to touch. I'm looking forward to learning more about it. So, yeah, and as we get into whether the books, or not anyone else yeah. is, you're going to be hearing what I'm learning about it. So, yeah, that that's yeah. going to be a really good thing. But now we're going to touch on more of like going through the chapters a little bit more broken down than what we did. I think the last episode was more we called it a study. So it was the overview of everything. We kind of I would say almost if you were in a hot air balloon looking down, you could see the whole city and surroundings. Now we're just going to walk through the streets of the chapters. And a bit more personal in this one, right? So yeah, now we can get into that. It's funny when I was looking at those questions that we asked last time, what do we know about Joel? Not much. What time period was Joel a prophet? Hard to tell. What do the locusts represent? Depends on who you're asking. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, so we answered all those questions. So quick recap there. How about the day of the Lord? More to come. <laughs> so good thing this episode is coming second because that might have been your experience with the first one. No, yeah. we, we went into more detail yeah. on certain things. Quick but. recap of episode one. What do we know about Joel? I don't know. He was the son of that dude and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what time period? Well, it could have been this one. It could have been that one. You decide. Yeah, he either quoted people or people quoted him. I think that's the beauty of what we do, right? We're just going to lay out options. And if you want to do more research on it, do more research and come to a conclusion on your own end. And that's the thing when I study, and I know I've shared it with you a bunch of times, is that when studying, I found that sometimes there can be multiple plausible explanations or understanding for things, which sometimes that's where we get some of the denominational differences on how to look at a thing. And maybe if you're really strong in your denomination, you've really been taught, or you just have the strong conviction that this is the right one, then the other one might not seem so plausible to you. But with me a lot, I'm able to, I shouldn't say that I'm able to, just when I see things that are plausible, I tend to go, okay, I can see where people are getting that. I kind of feel that it's this one, but because it's plausible, maybe it is the other one. You know, I think that there are several things that if we're honest, there's quite a few things like that in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I firmly agree with you on that one. That th That's how it is a lot of times for people. It could be this one. It could be that one. And like you said, I think that's where a lot of denominational things started splitting up because one person just said, I'm going to side more on this than that. And But within that, it's not loose enough to be like, well, well whatever you think, right? I'm right. saying whatever some plausibleness is. If somebody's come with an explanation and through Bible study and actual study, study to see, you know, check this thing out. There's a lot of claims that get made. It's like, nah, <laughs> that's just not there, man. Like, that's just not there. So Bible study is fun. It really is an exercise of, I don't know, I've learned that it's good to have questions if you're seeking for the answers. And the Bible is actually one of the books that we should be asking questions of. Yeah. Like, hey, I read that. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then study it out and pray about it and seek out with other believers. Yeah. None of that really has to do with Joel. Nope. Other than general, we're studying the Bible and going through stuff. So where do you want to jump into first? I do want to jump in with, so we're going to talk about the day of the Lord a lot. And I sent you a text today asking if you could do this, but I want to kind of give a general, just quick understanding of the name of God. Yeah, I like that you just text me day of. And you're like, <laughs> hey, we're looking at Joel, but how about the name of, of God? Like, yeah. Let's look at that. So that said, some general stuff about it. We use the word God, right? And when you look in the scriptures, you sometimes see God, and then you sometimes see Lord all capitalized out, right? And sometimes you see those two things brought together, the Lord your God. So really looking at those, there are different words in the original language, uh, Hebrew being for most of the Old Testament where you're seeing this. So you would have God being some form of Elohim, 
is mm-hmm. the word that's getting used there. And that word for Elohim gets used for any type of God. So when it's talking about the other gods of the pagan nations and different stuff, like it's using some form of Elohim to talk about them. It also talks about it, I believe, uh, Samuel, when the Witch of Endor yeah. experience is also referenced as an Elohim. So that's kind of interesting. And it's a, it's a cool study. But the Lord, in, in all caps, is the actual name of the God of the Bible of Israel. And it's Yahweh. That's how we promount, pronounce right. it. It's Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H, depending on how you look at the, the Hebrew there. And we fill in the vowels within that. So what it's saying is that Elohim is kind of like the term for a spiritual being. And then Yahweh is the one specific who we know as the Most High, the Creator, the Almighty, the Alpha, the Omega, right? The Father, all of these things. So the way that Scripture talks about it is, yeah, there's these spiritual beings, but of these spiritual beings, the Lord your God, Yahweh, your Elohim, right? The the Almighty, very specific. Is that what you were going for, for the name? Or were you looking more for, because there's other places in Scripture where it actually talks about the name of God being more of like the power of His presence, yeah, that, that was the general idea of what I was thinking for the name of it was to get to the, the Yahweh and that being the, this is the God above all the other gods name. Uh, even tying it into where, where, where uh, Moses in the burning bush was, well, what should I tell the people if they ask who sent me? And he said, I am who I am, mm-hmm. meaning that I sustain I am from the beginning to the end. But I think it's important because what I really wanted from that is, as we touch on the day of the Lord, that the book of Joel is basically this book of Yahweh, not God, little g, but Yahweh, the one who's above everything, his judgment on the tribe of Judah, Mm -hmm. and then also then his judgment on the nations that kind of were jacked up to Judah and the nations in whole, but then also his longing and call to repentance in both sections there's this call and then there's this creation of new things that he's going to bring out a new thing in the land but the importance to me of wanting to separate it because knowing that he is the god of all gods like this is more of a this is above everything else this is god's judgment on everything and i i I feel like the importance of his name has kind of been taken out because we just at times use the term god Mm mm-hmm and it could be God, big G, and we spell a big G. And sometimes when we're typing, we like to put, when we say he, a big H in there. Right. Uh, but the name was so valuable to the people that they wouldn't even say it. They actually took it out of writing and they would replace it. Like they took out the vowels. Mm-hmm. And so it would be, uh, where do I have it written down? It would be Y-H-W-E. W-H. Yeah, W-H. Yeah, yeah. the tetragrammaton. Mm-hmm. But it was important to them. And I think in the same sense with Moses, I, I heard this on uh, the Bible Project in one of their podcasts that they had. Are they paying us to sponsor them? Probably not, but I do feel like they're the <laughs> better version of us. Throw, throw, the better version of us. All right. Um, yeah. Tim but, Mackey's the better version of you, right? Uh, no, I'm, not at all. I'm John. Um, I'm John. <laughs> but what I liked is when even in that uh, situation with Moses in the burning bush was that when he said that, it was almost like the people who'd forgotten the name of God. And, and that's kind of where I wanted to get with this as we go through these books is that like, Knowing the difference that this is Yahweh, this is the God of gods, this is God above all the spirits and beings and everything and, and, and creation, this is him bringing kind of a judgment to his people. You know what the name Joel means, right? Yes. Well, why don't you fill in our listeners? It means Yahweh is God. 
Exactly. So just everything that you're talking about with the name is just like, yeah, forgetting the name and who he is. It's just like Joel himself, like the name meaning there is Yahweh mm-hmm. is God. So yeah. Yahweh is God. And in chapter one, we have God coming and he's using, uh, Joel is using this illustration of the locust invading. And we talked about it the last episode, this, this kind of, I mean, it could be an actual locust that creates a famine, but it could be an army. And when you kind of dig into it more, it's probably going to be an army. I think uh, that when you get into the later chapters, definitely army. But mm-hmm. because of the way that it talks about it, it could have been accompanied by a, by locusts during this time or a recent locust swarm that had moved through. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, hey, when that thing happened, this is what this thing is. Yeah. And, and so it, it kind of creates this idea of a famine mm-hmm. in the land, right? So that there's, there's poverty, there's things not there taken care of. But when you look at it on the applicational side of things or the personal side of it, it was like, why is God attacking his people? Or why is God having another nation, another army rise up against it? And if you go through the book of Jeremiah, I feel like you get more of those answers in that book than a lot of the other ones. You're seeing that God's people, they kind of started worshiping, well, that kind of, they did. They started worshiping other gods. They started creating idols, and they allowed the culture around them to be part of what they did. And so they weren't following God's instructions properly. They weren't listening to him. And, and that's kind of a common theme with the prophets is you didn't listen to God. You're not listening to God. You forsook God. You chased after idols. Yeah. And looking at that, I feel like in today's age, the idea of like, oh, going after other gods and there's different religions. And the common thing of today is, what is it? The bumper sticker coexist. Mm-hmm. Like They're all kind of the same. They're all kind of fine. Like people of that religion are like, they're fine and they're doing what we really don't get in our contemporary times now is just what pagan gods and the worship of those gods came along with. And depending on which god you're really going after and the things that came with that, like it could get very, I guess, to keep it a bit more on the PG side for this episode, very sensual in yeah. a lot of different ways and some very vulgar ways and what comes with it. it could get very brutal. The child sacrifice coming out and what those things are. Um, and when you're looking at sacrifice anything within the Old Testament, a sacrifice was always tied to a meal. So like in the Old Testament, when they were sacrificing the bulls and lambs and stuff, then you would eat of that meat and the priest would eat of that meat. And it was a meal that you were sharing with God. So when there was a human sacrifice, you can understand what that would mean as mm-hmm. well to the least amount, drinking blood beyond that. There is like pagan worship went really hard in a direction. And it's not just a thing for us. We're like, oh yeah, like I know some Buddhists. They're pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, a di- <laughs> it's a different thing there. But then even in the terms of coming out of a lot of that maybe pagan ritual and some of the things that were there, is that when you get away from worshiping Yahweh and following his law, you kind of get in that list that we saw in Second Timothy. There's like, hey, in the last days, yeah. they're going to be what was it? Devoid of love or lovers of self, lovers mm-hmm. of money, disrespectful, prideful. not honoring, prideful, like all of those things. So not just the the crass outward acts of stuff to where you were appealing to a God and, you know, having that interaction. And they had all the reasons of fertility and, you know, that the crops would rise or whatever success. And they had their reasons. But like, we also have our reasons for acting the way that we do. And a lot of people, if you are a lover of self and you're full of greed and you're doing these things and you're disrespecting people and like whatever those things are, it shows that you're following after something that's not Yahweh. Right. And these things are coming into your life and it's wickedness on, on both on like on the full spectrum of scale. I just want to bring that into where sometimes our thinking, of, oh, they went off to follow after other gods. Like, yeah, I've known some friends that have left the church and they're not that bad. It's like the other gods they were going after were pretty brutal. 
Even to where I, I don't, I can't recall where, which one of the prophets said it, but it was what you're talking about. You, you're sacrificing your children to gods. Something, and this is God telling them like why they're getting ready, why judgment is coming. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that. And I didn't even, that wasn't even in my mind for you guys to do. Like that wasn't even something I thought of to even solidify more what you were saying that this, these things and practices that they were already getting themselves into were things that God had no intention for us. And um, scripture talks in the, in the place about people getting so far in their sin that they were inventing new mm-hmm. ways of sinning. Like it's not even God's yeah. mind. He's, he's looking at us as like, I didn't even know you guys would do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, why are you doing that? Yeah. And then it's eventually to the point Which where... Which there's some of that we'll get into in a couple yeah, chapters, yeah. Where then it's like, then I allowed them to continue into their folly because they were just going into that direction. But one of the things that, I, that really popped out to me was this idea of that people of Judah became their own judge between good and evil. And at this point, because I'm just saying the, the tribe of Judah, the Israelites, the, the other tribes, they've already been taken captive. They've already... If we're believing that this is... One of the dates. One of the dates, yeah, after Babylon or before. Either way, uh, the Israelites, the rest of them were dealt with as well. It wasn't just this one tribe. The whole nation, the people of Israel, they were all the judge between what's good and evil. And we know that that's what God's position is. And, and, and it kind of ties into one of the things that I read for the day of the Lord is that, is that God is the judge of good and evil. And the day of the Lord is his judgment on evil. It's like this permanent judgment when we're talking about like the future tense of like maybe the day of the Lord in the book of Revelation is that it's God's judgment to completely wipe out evil. And so he's the judge of that. And But we've taken it into our own hands and said, this is okay and this is acceptable. Yeah, which two things on that is that when I'm the judge, the things that I do are right. <laughs> <laughs> or even if I'm feeling like they're not, like obviously I'm a pretty lax judge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's that of scripture talks about our heart is deceitful. Right. Then what I think is right or wrong or whatever is like, I need to get an education on, on that kind of thing. But on the other side, how, how you were saying with the judgment of God coming in, that he's judge and the getting rid of evil is I just got this in my studies yesterday or today, really looking at the concept of God as judge and the judgment that he brings down isn't him casting a verdict. When God moves into judgment mode, it's him setting things right. So it's not just like, oh man, they were doing wrong. He's mad. They're in trouble. That's what's happening. God, when he moves in with judgment, is he's coming in to set order to chaos, to wipe out evil and instate justice. And that's what happens. So I think that, again, one of the things learning day of the Lord, it's, oh man, then the judge is going to come up and he'll decide the things. It's like, no, then things are being made right on that day. I was going to save this for the end of the episode, but you kind of took me there already. Uh, it's, it's like, God. we're like, let's go chapter by chapter. It's like, <laughs> we're already in chapter four or three. <laughs> yeah, um, chapter four, the forgotten the chapter forgotten of the book forgotten of book. I mean, we're doing the forgotten books. Uh, but it's God returning to make all things right. From what I studied, that's pointing back towards Eden, making mm-hmm. things right, like how it was in the garden where people walked freely in the presence of God and into that state. And then one of the things I read was like the locust, his judgment will consume the evil out of the world. And that's what we get into, like when we touch into chapter two, uh, a little bit of that. That's the the locust, his army, mm-hmm. the kind of st- what I began with. They blow the trumpets in Zion. That's the final judgment of God consuming the evil that's here. Which I guess we're just talking on this, and then we can circle back around and go through. But that is where our joy as believers, as children of God, looking towards that, 
anytime the, the day of the Lord is mentioned, it's a mighty terrible day to use the language of the scriptures and looking at it. And when you hear descriptions, it's like, whoa, super brutal. Like that's what's happening. But it's brutal against evil, against wickedness. Yeah. And when we see that God is making things right, then what more could we hope for? Exactly. <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I mean? It is the, that's where, and we'll get to it, vengeance doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he will. He's patient. But like we're going to get into in this book, he does take action. And that kind of leads me, I'm glad you brought up the patience, that there's two parts in chapter one and in chapter two. So we talked about the armies of the beginning of chapter one and then the beginning of chapter two, the locusts and the armies, one being maybe an actual physical army coming and wiping out Judah and the judgment there. But then we're talking about chapter two, where it's more of God's army mm-hmm. is now marching against evil. And then there's two sections where there's a call of repentance in chapter one. And then in chapter two, there's a section that's called, in my Bible, render your heart. And both of them are God saying, come back, like repent of what you're doing. And it's like, like you said, the judgment has been laid out, but it's to eradicate evil. And if you change your ways, that judgment doesn't hit you because I'm no longer taking out the evil that's inside of you. But I just really like that there's a, there's a call for the priest to put on sackcloth and, and the ministers to wail before the altar. And, and then it says, declare a holy fast. And then at verse 15, at last for the day of the Lord is near. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a calling back to the people. So in looking at this, and we see Joel as a prophet, and when we're looking at judgment, God isn't just coming out of nowhere, but he sends his prophets and he speaks and he lets people know because God's desire isn't that any should perish, but that all should come to an understanding of him in repentance, right? So when we see, as you were saying, there's a judgment coming, but there is the thing of, hey, repent and turn to me. Yeah. And to take it to like a personal thing is, man, sometimes I can find myself you know, getting away from God in, in areas or, you know, what it, maybe it's an area that I've been ignoring or whatever it is or throughout my time in my relationship with him, it's been different stuff. But to where he's getting my attention and you'll get my attention, try softly at first, like, hey, son, that's mm-hmm. not the thing. And if I keep being an idiot, <laughs> you know, try and get my attention more until it's just, hey, do you see the consequence that you are facing right now because of your actions? Yeah. You still need to turn to me. And what I've learned is, Yes, I do need to turn to him and turning to him. There is the grace when I truly do turn back to him in repentance. Doesn't always mean that I don't have to face my consequences, Mm -hmm. but I've returned to him. So even walking through that consequence, the important thing is handled is that I'm reconciled back to God. So even if I walk through the consequence, it's this world isn't all that there is. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've done the thing that God was wanting of me the whole time is that I've come back to him. I think I'm loving him. I think a perfect example of that is when you look at David and Bathsheba, where he went out and sinned, and the whole thing of Bathsheba had the baby, killed Uriah. The baby was born, right? He ended up marrying Bathsheba, and the baby was born. And I think there was about a year between the baby being born before Nathan the prophet came up to him, gave him the illustration of what was going on between the other person. Just, just go read it. I think it's 2 Samuel 17 or 16, 18. 2 Samuel. Go read it. Google it. Google it, yes. Uh, but eventually... Nathan says, you messed up. You're the guy who did wrong. And David is just filled with the grief of his sin. Mm-hmm. And judgment is passed. The child isn't going to live. And so David fasts, and he fasts, and he prayed, and he prayed. And then eventually, yeah, the child does die. Uh, and then David gets up, cleans himself, and everyone's like, well, you were fasting and mourning while the child was still alive. And now that he's dead, you're, you're shaving and eating. 
And he said the famous words that he uses, you know, I can never see him again here, but one day I'll go to see him in heaven. But it was that exact thing, right? Because that whole year, David's communal relationship, as far as we know from the Psalms and everything, is it just stopped. And he got David's heart again. And what did David write after that? I think it's Psalms 50-something. Creating me a clean heart, O God. Mm-hmm. You know, he had got his heart. And it, it kind of leads me towards verse 11 and then 12 through 17 of chapter 2, where you get the Lord thunders uh, at the head of his army and his forces are beyond number. And mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? And it's to me, I'm thinking of like, yeah, when I'm going through my mess and my garbage, I can't endure that, right? Like, it's just, it's heavy on me because it's just sin always seems to be in front of me. When I'm, when I'm in a bad relationship with God, when I'm just going out and for me, losing my temper all the time and just being a jerk or, you know, letting depression kind of overrule and take me down those paths, I don't see God and I don't think I can endure it. But then the next part is just the most beautiful, like who can endure it? Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And those verses just speak so much volume to my life of even now, like David at that moment, even now, return to God, rend your heart, not your garments, meaning don't, don't make it just be an outward thing. Returning to God can't just be this outward expression. It has to be a heart changed. And then you look at that verse, creating me a clean heart, oh God, change my heart to want to love you again. And, and personally, I've gone through that where after my ministry was falling apart and marriage was falling apart, in order to get back to where I was at today, I did have to rend my heart and learn to love God again and ask for him to create something new inside of me. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day and they were talking about just like getting stuck in one of those cycles. Like how you said it, sin is always before me. And man, the way just looking at David, how he talks about it in the Psalms in different places, like, like my body's weak, my bones are weak. And just, you know, until I turn back to him and then he restores me from that. But just looking at getting kind of stuck in one of those cycles and they're saying that they hear other people finding victory in these areas or, you know, able to come away from it. But the, just the way that they talk about it, they're like, well, I'm, I'm seeking after that. When is it going to take place for me? My response was kind of like, when you're that desperate that you're willing to give up everything in order to get back to God and get that sin out of your life, then you will. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus talks about like, hey, if you're right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's like that comes at a loss. Yeah. You don't have that hand for the rest of your life, but you are so willing to, like you want to get to God, you realize this thing is causing me to sin. I, okay, if I'm not going to have it for the rest of my life, I'm never going to have it for the rest of my life. Like I just need to get back to God and that's what I need and I'll go to that extent. Disclaimer, don't cut off your arms. Nope. Don't pluck out your eyes. Mm-mm. But if something's causing you to sin, cut that thing out. And if you do, visit Lester's. <laughs> <laughs> is that the commercial for today no that was the commercial for the <laughs> second timothy stuff oh, all right then yeah you know where to find them <laughs> right but i i found that with me and that's where when joel is talking about that in, in several places you brought up uh chapter 1 verse 14 consecrate a fast proclaim a solemn assembly gather the elders and all the residents of the land so this is something I, we were giving personal examples of struggling through something like when you get to the point that like you are rending your heart, you're ripping your heart open for, before God, you are wailing, you realize what your sin is and you want nothing more than to have God. 
then you're seeking with all of your heart mm-hmm. and you will have God. It's a promise of scripture. But in here, we're looking at judgment on a community of people and that the community needs to take that thing seriously. And this really brings me to a point of really considering just within the nation or our state or our city and our church or the local churches combined, when we see things that are happening in the world, are we seeing God behind them? Are we seeing that maybe as a culture, we are doing the very things that biblical people were doing? Again, turning away to other gods, whether we want to call them other gods or not, we're turning away from Yahweh, that's for sure. Yeah. We're not being obedient to, to Jesus. We're not loving God. We're not loving others. Everyone's turned away to their own thing. Are we seeing those as people of God and realizing maybe some of the stuff that we're facing as judgments upon that wickedness, that what we're coming against as a whole is God like setting things right, but we see how God sets things right through scripture. You know, mm-hmm. It looks like trouble for people who are wicked. So I see the responsibility here that the prophet of God saying, hey, you people of God, you need to assemble. Yeah. And there's other scripture that talks about when my people who are called by my name, right, cry out to me and they turn from their wickedness, then I will listen to them. So when I see this, it's like I struggle because I see a lot in our culture is just, I don't know, yesterday's like today and today's like tomorrow and we're just going to keep on going mm-hmm. it's almost like jesus when he's saying and those days will be like the days of noah they'll be getting married they'll be doing their whole thing and they don't know the judgment is coming upon them and it's just i kind of feel like that it's no one sounding the alarms are we not aware of like the rampant wickedness like do we think god is just chill with that now and i heard a preacher say several years ago and i struggle to see how <laughs> how much i agree with it today but he said if America keeps doing what it's doing and God doesn't judge, then he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Uh, I want to kind of touch on what you're saying a little bit, and then we'll go to the break. But when you're talking about like kind of looking at especially Old Testament people when they were worshiping other gods and chasing after that and those things in the New Testament, it does kind of almost change where Jesus says, uh, your treasure's in heaven. Mm Mm-hmm. That like we then start to treasure the things, and even Paul starts writing like we're we're creating, we're turning the creation into our God. So we think like, yeah, I'm not joining another religion, like you were saying, like Buddhist or Mormon or whatever. But am I worshiping after success? Am I worshiping after money? Am I worshiping fame? Whatever you're chasing is eventually what you're worshiping, and whatever you're worshiping is your God. Mm-hmm. And that's where I look at this. Like, yeah, maybe we're not the 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 nation of Judah here or the tribe of Judah, who's going after other gods, but what are we chasing and what are we worshiping? Because that would tell you what your God is. That's what would tell you what's number one. And then even with that, what have we allowed as a body culturally into the body? You know, are we accepting more of the things that the world is saying is acceptable? Are you accepting and saying, this is okay for my life? Because you know what? The world says it's okay. And I don't want my friends to look at me and think of me any differently. So I think this is okay. Uh, there's a lot that's going on that we really have to say, does this stand on God's word? And if it doesn't stand on God's word, then it can't be allowed within our, our lives and within our culture. And then you could even get into like pharisaical with it, right? Like, well, then I shouldn't listen to this kind of music and I shouldn't watch that TV. And maybe if that's where you need to go. But I think the bigger problem is the idea of when the things come into the church from culture are we now worshiping God like culture does, or are we worshiping God the way he designed us to? Um, and that, that's the big question. I think this is what Joel's hitting a lot when, he, when we're talking about this 
just this one group is that like your heart isn't for God anymore. Repent, get everyone together. Like you were saying, like get a group of people together, fast, do all the things you need to do, but come back, render your heart, make it real. Don't make it just an expression or an outward thing. Make it real, like really, really move forward. Let's take the break and let's come back into the the compassion God thing and then we'll jump into the next half of the book. Yeah. Question. Have you ever heard your Christian friends say something like, I'm praying for traveling mercies or you just need a hedge of protection around you? If so, did you have any clue what they were saying? Well, thankfully, with the new Christian Translator app, you'll never experience this kind of confusion again. The Christian Translator app takes words or phrases said by your Christian friends and puts them into everyday normal language. For example, if your Christian friend says something like, we have to declare a holy fast, the Christian Translator app would translate for you, this means without eating food. Or how about when your Christian friend says, you need to rend your heart. The Christian Translator app will let you know they simply mean being deeply sorry. Don't understand what the day of the Lord means? Well, the Christian Translator app has you covered. Download the app today and never be confused by what your Christian friends are saying again. The Christian Translator app, helping you understand the language of the saints. Coming in, you wanted to get into the Lord your God being gracious and compassionate. So we see that chapter 2. Verse 13, so rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion. And looking at that description, we were talking about it before, but that through studying, and it might have been, again, those Bible project guys that, that said it in this way, is that that description of God was like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Yeah. That that is the most common description of who God is. And it does go back to Exodus. So you brought up Moses, right? And Moses interacting with God with the burning bush. But then here we have in Exodus 34, and this is when Moses is up on the mountain, kind of after the Exodus, and he's got the laws. And 34 verse 5, Then the Lord descended in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and called out, The Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers on their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So again, you have that loving devotion part, and that's just the most commonly used way of talking about God. God is compassionate and gracious. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of times we look at it's common to look at the God of the Old Testament as the big angry God that just like, then he had his son and his son was chill, but God is like the angry dad, right? But that's not it. God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. But that's where you get to the second part of that description. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And that's what we're seeing in Joel is like, he's saying, turn back to me, repent. I want you. I am going to judge the guilty wickedness, but I want you to turn to me. So even in that Exodus story where they were like slaves for 400 years, and then the outcry went up to God and he, he made a decision to act upon Egypt. There was time, and, and when we talked about it like with Jezebel, where Ahab died, and then, I mean, for us, I think it was like nine chapters from the span of Second Kings to, or First Kings to Second Kings. It was years yeah. that he allowed her to continue to live. Why? Because he was still the, the slow to anger, the compassion to see if she would render her heart. 
And that is God. Like a lot of times we're going through the Old Testament, it's like judgment, judgment, judgment. But it's like decades have gone by, years had gone by. Uh, for the children of Israel and even Judah, there were decades, centuries of kings who came in and just jacked things up and introduced the worship of Baal or introduced the worship of this, sacrificing to that. And it wasn't until so many years later that God said, boom, judgment's coming. Nebuchadnezzar, my tool, here he comes to reign the judgment. As much as, yeah, there is this judgment thing, I, I firmly believe that, yeah, God, this, this description of him is one of the best ones because he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And even today, we're like, for us people living in through the last few years, we could say like, man, it's jacked up. <laughs> Jesus come now. But also, no, because there's so many people who don't know you. There are so many people within my family that don't know him yet, who haven't come to that relationship. In a sense, it's kind of like, hey, I know a bunch of wicked people. God, smite them. Yeah. I, like, I want you to come because like, I want your, like, right? And in a sense, when we don't know the people, it's just like, oh, yeah, go, go mm-hmm. rain down on them. But for the ones that we do know, it's like, Maybe be a bit more patient. <laughs> we're, we're quick to be James and John. Like, should we smite them with fire? <laughs> right. And then when it's people we know, we're Abraham with Lot. Like, but what if there's only five righteous people <laughs> right. in Sodom? And then God's like, cool, I won't destroy it. But obviously there wasn't, you know? And so uh, I think what we really need to get in a mindset of is understanding who our God is, that he's really slow, compassionate, and thank him for it. Mm-hmm. Man, I thank him every day on how he is gracious to me how he's compassionate to me, how he's abounding, and and the most beautiful one out of all four of them, abounding in love for me, that he loves me so much that he's going to constantly work on me and work on me and work on me until I finally meet him. Uh, I think that to me is a beautiful picture of who God is within this portion. Yeah, and looking at that picture, so we can look at the scripture for what it means in the context and what, you know, it's saying, but then, you know, we're able to pull stuff out of it as well, kind of into today and what it can mean for us. But when looking at from God being who he is and calling them into repentance, then he moves into promising restoration to them. Uh, Verse 19 in chapter 2, the Lord answered his people, Behold, I'll send you grain, new wine and oil, and by them you will be satisfied. I will never again make you reproach among nations. I'll drive away the northern army. I'm going to kind of paraphrase through to go a bit quicker. I'm going to banish it to a barren and desolate land. And he goes, for he has done great things. Don't be afraid, O land. Rejoice and be glad. The Lord has done great things. O beasts of the field, uh, for the open pastures have turned green. The trees bear their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their best. Be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he's given you the autumn rains for your vindications. He sends you showers, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, God coming in and like, look, the locust came through. But then he says in verse 25, I will repay you for the years eaten by locusts. The swarming locusts, young locusts, destroying locusts, devouring locusts. You'll have plenty to eat until you're satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God. So when I'm looking at that, of just how you were saying so personally, man, I'm so happy that God loves me so much. I'm a recipient of that. I'm thankful for those things. As people, this is what restoration, for me, this is a picture of salvation. Man, my life when I'm away from God is a desolate war zone that's been eaten to the ground that's been raised to the ground and like nothing's growing and whatever but when i come to that point of humility and my heart is broken open and i turn to god and he comes in man he pours his love in like those rains things start to grow and sprout again and i'm full and i'm satisfied and Mm. i can praise god from that point it's not the point anymore like you were saying the sin is constantly before me you're able to look and just like man i don't deserve any of this God, you are so good. <laughs> you are so good. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that for us particularly, we're the biggest recipients of this because of what Joel lays out in a prophecy in chapter 2, verse 28, saying, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, right? There's a bit more to that. Maybe we can touch on what happens from there. But looking at that pouring out of God's spirit, that's what happened with Jesus on the cross and the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. We just celebrated Easter. We're looking forward to Pentecost and just really looking at the pouring out of God's spirit. His spirit now, we can be reconciled to him and from spirit to spirit, truly know God and be connected like a branch to the vine, right? And just connected to the life source. Uh, We are recipients to things that Joel and all of the prophets Mm. and all the fathers were looking forward to. Yeah. Like, we can experience the things that they hoped for. God's, we are alive at a time where like, man, it's good. (laughs) It's good. Yesterday, I I recorded as a guest on Letters from Home. And basically, like the concept of this podcast, it's hosted by a lady named Meg. And she interviews people and it gives their testimony. And never had I written my testimony from like childhood to today. Mm. And even when I share things, it's chunks. It's like blocks here, blocks there, where I'm at now. Whatever's relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And and as I started going through it, I, I just noticed a pattern within my life of like this mistakes that I made of really being great at putting on the mask of perfection and hiding that I'm just a horrible train wreck of a human being. All that getting to the point of that there was a judgment. Like God kind of brought the hammer when I feel like everything just snapped and I broke and everything. I couldn't wear the mask anymore. I felt the guilt. I felt the shame. I knew I was a phony. I knew I was a hypocrite. I knew that after two years of preaching, go read your Bible and praying and not doing any of it myself, I was the biggest con artist in all of Christianity. At least that's the way I felt. Paul, like, I was the chief of all sinners. Right. And, and then when we get into this part of uh, what you're talking about, I'm going to go backwards a little bit. The 25 of chapter 2. I will repay you for the years of the locusts have eaten the great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, and the swarm locusts. Uh, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord who works wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other, never again will my people be shamed. And reading that and kind of after going through that story yesterday, I felt that restoration. Mm. I felt the, I will repay you for what the locusts have eaten in my own life. And I I was talking about at the end of it, I was like, 2021 was probably one of the best years of my life. Now, Now, I went through some hard times, sure. But my relationship with God has never been better. And I can't wait for it to even get better. Why? Because I think I got to the point where it says, then you will know that I am Lord mm-hmm. and you will rejoice. And that's why, again, I wanted to start off this episode with the name of God, because understanding who God is, where he reigns is so important in our lives. So I knew he was God and I knew that he was Lord and there's no one else besides him. I would never put my life in anyone else's hands but his. But the locust did come. Like I felt that. I felt like I was in a famine spiritually, emotionally, physically. I, I was wearing a heart monitor for like a few months and had to get a CAT scan because I was passing out. Like everything was happening and there was a severe famine within just internally. And this is the beauty of God's restoration when you render your heart, because that's Mm -hmm. the key part, right? That's what I had to do. And when I rendered my heart, he was like, here's the repayment. And, And it's not like I'm sitting here and be like, I'm, life is great. No, I still, me and my wife still argue. 
my kids are, uh, what was the nice word I heard the other day for them? Complications in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have a dog who's another complication in my life. There are still things that don't pan out the way I want them to. But God has been more real, and I know who God is. And I think that's the key part. And then, you know, like you said, we get into the, the Acts chapter 2, where it's the Holy Spirit will fall upon everybody, and people will prophesy and speak and all this other stuff. And that's, you know, Peter says it himself in Acts chapter 2, this has happened today. Mm-hmm. Now this prophecy is fulfilled. And I think that's the beauty of Scripture, right? When you're seeing it jump from one to the other to the other thing of every promise God makes comes true. And, and looking at that completion of that promise, I mean, Jesus is the ultimate completion of all these promises, but even in that one, it's just a really cool thing. Yeah, just when you're talking about going through that experience, that's the picture of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. There was stuff in your life and God was like, hey, and I'm sure that for those years, right, you were saying you were preaching, like you knew it and like he was talking to you through it, but then it came to the point of like, okay, we're doing something about this. But the result of that wasn't to destroy you and like, well, Chris is dead now or whatever. Right. But the wickedness is dead now Mm -hmm. so that his life could live in you. And that's what I see here when looking at this is that the result of people coming to God and submitting to him in humility and repentance, that's the only act that they did. God restored the land and God did everything. You know what I mean? Sometimes being stuck in that, point of sin and disobedience and hardness of heart and stuff is like all of these problems and I got to do everything to fix it. I was like, the only thing you got to do is submit to God. He'll do the restoring. You know what I mean? Obviously we have our part in it. We need to continue in the obedience, but it's like, I can't make it rain. Like if I'm trying to plant a harvest, like I can't make it rain. I can go out there and plant seeds all day long, but if if he doesn't bring the rain. So it's the same thing in our hearts. It's like, well, I'm going to put new habits in. I was like, we, we need the grace of God to bring life to those things. So just when you were talking about it, I really saw that, yeah, the judgment and the restoration in, in, in a really real story. I really like, too, that when, when you were talking about it, it was God who restores. Mm-hmm. It was also God who took away. You know, mm-hmm. like he's the one who does both ends. And in some vein, we could kind of get caught up with like, I destroyed my life. And so we stay wallowed in that self-pity and in that place where the enemy wants to keep us. But if we really look at it as like, no, this is God just trying to grab us to get us back. Because that's really the day of the Lord is meant to provoke God's people to change their ways. You know, the locust being that warning that here is the locust coming and it's provoking us to change our ways, change who we are. And we need to turn to God with our whole hearts while there's still an opportunity. That's why I liken that verse even now. Like that's such Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Like it means any moment. Even now is even now. And now it's even now. And now it's even now. And now it's even, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it follows through so completely. But I do like all this of what Joel is just getting to us is that the day of the Lord is just this moment and opportunity for us to not succumb to what Babylon wants in the culture of Babylon, but to be God's people. And in that day of the Lord is great and very dreadful. Who can endure it? It's a thing to take seriously. I want to I get into chapter three, but before doing that, just when you're saying even now, kind of along with the even now, we touched on it earlier that sometimes the consequences still come through. I like in verse 14 of chapter two, he says, who knows, he may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. And it's like, cool, turn to him. Who knows, he, he might relent from the thing and stop it from happening. And I just think of Jonah going to Nineveh like, oh, yeah. Nineveh was way out there, man. Again, look at all the practices of other gods and the stuff and just like w- how they were set up. And Jonah was just like, those are my enemy. I don't want to go to my enemy and offer them repentance because like, I know who you are. You're a compassionate God. Like, 
if they turn, you are going to, like, I don't like them. <laughs> and he has his whole journey. But when you look at Nineveh, it says that when they heard that judgment was coming upon them, everyone from the king to the cows repented. Yeah. And God turned away his anger. So I know that we're talking about, like, oh, it's for God's people and whatever. It's like, man, God's call to repent and turn away from wickedness. You can throw that anywhere in the hopes that people actually will. And you know what? Calamity didn't come upon Nineveh in that day. And that's always what I'm hoping for is like, man, for as much as possible that we don't have to go through and experience the consequences of our stupidity. But sometimes that's also how God teaches us through the thing is like, cool, you're in the right place now. This this lesson is still happening, though. Which I think is a great segue into chapter three, because chapter three is the the nation's judgment. That's Mm -hmm. God now judging the nations. And there's a list of them in there and we could read it and look at it. But like the nations are being judged for what they did to the Israelites or how they lived and how they practiced. And and Obadiah will be a good example, too, because we get a look at Edom. Mm-hmm. and what Edom did to the people of Israel when we touch on that one in the next few episodes. But here we have God judging the nations for their sins, for their wrongdoing. And what's interesting to me, you, what you said in, uh, right before I started talking was I started thinking like the children of Israel were placed here to be... They're supposed to be the light. The light. They were supposed to be God's people showing the world how to live for God. And it's not like they were just a chosen race by themselves. They were supposed to introduce God to the world to bring them into the culture and being of who God's people were. They were supposed to be a holy nation of priests. Right. Yeah. And, and instead, they compromised and they allowed the world to influence them. And so then came the folly of them. But if they had stuck to the task, if they had stuck to the mission, you know, it would have been almost a difference that the judgment of the nations wouldn't have been coming to them. Because the judgment of the nations would have been them seeing the Israelites acting as a holy nation, a holy priest, and coming to repentance, just like Nineveh, what you're talking about. Hey, I wonder if we can see any parallels with the church. (laughs) I wonder if we're looking at the world and the church and what the church is supposed to be and do. And I don't know. I just wonder if that means anything, Chris. (laughs) You know, we were talking about like the day of the Lord and all the meanings. And one of the other ones I read was... uh, the day of the Lord is God's kingdom come. Mm. It's God's kingdom. And then Jesus said, repent for my kingdom is at hand, mm-hmm. right? My kingdom is near. And then he talks about the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. Yeah, the church, right? Like we are God's people and God's kingdom here. And, and kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, instead of always being worried about fleeing this earth and fleeing here and leaving to go with God, Let's bring God here. Let's saturate our city with his love, his hope, with his graciousness, with his abounding love, so that the world and the people around us will change. Yeah, and looking at that, right, we're seeing that judgment is God setting things right. Mm -hmm. Day of the Lord and like his presence, his kingdom. And if we're his kingdom, we're going out. Jesus talked about like when he's looking at the kingdom, saying, hey, this is my church. Go out. The gates of hell won't prevail against you. And just thinking of that concept, of like for us to go out into the world and interact with the world. We know that we're not at war against flesh and blood. Like we're not to take up arms and go and like damage anybody or do that. But when we see that there's wickedness, like gates of hell won't prevail. What that means is like we're storming the gates of hell and we're seeing people and letting them know about this great God who's compassionate, slow to anger, all these things, his goodness that he'll pour out blessings, that he'll restore He'll be able to eradicate the sin out of somebody's life, right? It's like, come into this kingdom. It's a free ticket. It's grace. Come into this thing. Like, I'm experiencing it. These other people are experiencing it. We want you to experience this. Come out of this thing. And it's like, like you're saying, like, rather than thinking about escaping, 
Like, how about we bring, what was it, Jesus's prayer? Is it something about like, your kingdom come, your will mm-hmm. be done on earth as it is in heaven? Maybe if we pray that and then put it into action, then it will be a form of God judging the earth. It'll be a form of God eradicating the evils. It'll be a form right. of God putting the earth as it should be. Not that like, oh, look at Christianity's the biggest religion, but look at all these people that love God and love each other now. They can forgive each other. They think of other people as better than themselves. That are humble. That are gracious. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of seems like maybe there's a reason he left us here. I think the book in the last few cha- verses of the chapter three sum everything up that we're talking about so well. When it says, then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill in Jerusalem, will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. And then it kind of goes down and talks about some stuff. And, and then verse 21, their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. Yeah, and I kind of bring those two together because as I look at it, right, it's, it's you're saying like, maybe if we did these things, then they would like... This is what Joel is saying. Then you will know that I am the Lord. By how we act and how we do things, that's how the people around us will know who God is. And the beauty of all of this is that even going back to uh, chapter 2, when he pours out his spirit and it's on all of us and we're like working in the spirit now, is that the Lord dwells with us. Like Mm -hmm. his presence is now with us. And, and, And the book ends What's God's presence among his people? What better, what better way to offer hope and promise is than God's presence would dwell with his people? It's, it's really cool. I really enjoyed this book. I, if you got more, I do have a quote that I want to get to, but, or a commentary that wrote and kind of summed up things. But Yeah, I'm, we don't really have the time, and I, I wouldn't want to take the time because it wouldn't do justice to it, but just we started off talking about Bible study and taking the time mm-hmm. to really dig through things. This chapter, when you're looking at these nations, and you're looking at Tyre and Sidon and Philistia and the different stuff, sometimes we see these lists, and it's foreign. It's literally foreign land. It's ancient nations. We don't we don't get it, and you know we're talking about how you were talking about even like, well, there's Judah, and then I thought it was Israel, and what's going on? And it is the thing of I encourage people to study yeah. this book, to really get in and be like, all right, cool. Tyre and Sidon, Philistia, how, do, how are they getting tied into this thing? If judgment's coming on, like, how does this tie in? And little by little, building out the narrative of what, this, of what the Bible's talking about. Like for me, and to give an equivalent, I didn't read comic books. I didn't grow up doing that. I think that growing up, I actually mostly like DC stuff I was most familiar with, like Superman and Batman and stuff, like, eh, cool, Spider-Man occasionally. But since all the Marvel stuff blew up, I've seen all the Marvel movies. I've watched all the stuff on Netflix and Disney Plus and whatever. I haven't done Moon Knight yet. I think that's the newest one. Yeah. But I have a pretty good understanding of the Marvel Universe just from watching the movies and getting to know, oh, what are those characters and what is this? And maybe rewatching a movie and like, oh, I didn't notice that connection the first time. You build out the universe. Do that with the Bible. Mm-hmm. This is the reality. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And when you actually study, man... There's some crazy stuff in here that like, it's, it's cool to study your Bible. The stuff that I, how you were saying, like over the past few years, really getting to know God and through his scriptures and stuff. Like I see the Bible in such a different way than I did years ago. Like it's fun to study and see what's in there. It really is. Even, I mean, some of the stuff is boring when you're reading the names and you can't. But then when you, if you study the names, you're like, oh, dang, what? Yeah. And if you start <laughs> studying meanings behind it, like when we said, what does Joel mean? And then like, oh, what? Mm. Now there's a connection behind even the whole theme. I read this and I thought this was really cool. 
The main theme of Joel is the approaching day of Yahweh, which initially brings pain for God's people, that's the first half of the book, but ultimately leads to the renewal and vindication, the second half. In A Locust Plague, Joel sees how frail humanity is and, how, and just how chaotic the world really is, emphasizing how desperately we need God. In the plague, Joel also sees a glimpse of what it's like when Yahweh's heavenly army invades the world to bring order and peace. It will be grim before it gets better because the evil that pervades much of humanity must be removed. And then it finishes up this. It says, Joel reminds us that God is present and active in the world, working towards a difficult but beautiful end, the restoration of peace and justice throughout the world. And I really liked how that summed up the main theme of Joel, like this approaching day of Yahweh. But really, the ultimate goal is what? To restore and bring peace throughout the world. And I know personally, maybe I'm not the world, but he actively works in all of us to restore us and to bring peace and justice in our own hearts. And I, and I felt that. Like, I looked at this book and I was like, I've been there. I've been there. I mm -hmm. felt the locust, you know? And, and then how it caps off with the Lord dwells in Zion. Like, the Lord dwells. He is with me. I am not God but God is with me. And that's the most beautiful thing, I think, in all of Scripture, when you read someone's life, like Joseph, who went through terrible things and was thrown into a well and all the other stuff, accused of rape. It always capped every like, bad situation, and God was with him, mm -hmm. and God was with him. And that should make me the most comfortable in any circumstance I face, is that God is with me. I'm with you fully on that. It is... Again, the goal, we're going to go through hard times and that God is with us. And it says that uh, chapter three, verse 16, the Lord will roar from Zion and raise his voice from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. So yeah, you know, there's all that going on, but that we can find a refuge in God. I think that that's where it's at. I just, I guess I wanted to put an asterisk on something that I said earlier that way. Sometimes I say stuff and then later I'm like, ah, should we put that in show notes? Do I need to address it later as a correction or like what? And then I forget. <laughs> but this for this one, how early I was talking about like, oh, just judgment upon America and whatever that is. I know sometimes in people's minds that the, what is it called? Like the heckles can get put up or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, defend America. It's like, oh, not so much like the ideals in America and what the founding fathers set up and different stuff like. I like that stuff. Like, that's good. But things that happen within the nation. And I see something like chapter 3, verse 3 says, They cast lots for my people. They bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine to drink. I think that just to look at, even though, hey, a lot of us disagree with stuff that happens in this country, we can look at things like Jeffrey Epstein. Just when you talk mm -hmm. about these children, what's going on here. And we look at the crazy amount of child trafficking that happens in this nation. And we look at that these are things that God is judging these nations for. And that's just one verse highlighting what a simple thing. So just when we're looking at, I guess I would just encourage people that don't get up in arms because I said something about God judging America and like, oh, the ideals and everything is there. There are people in this country that do stuff and it's actually really widespread. And that's talking about child trafficking. When we get into Jesus and how he looks at like, hey, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you the real standard is don't lust after people. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like really like where, because he says you've already committed adultery in your heart and you know, don't commit murder. I'm telling you, you're guilty for judgment if you're calling, if you're full of anger and calling people idiots and fools and stuff. So just when we're really looking at what is the standard and what is the level of kind of permissible wickedness in the culture, I guess I just wanted to bring a clarification to that mm -hmm. to show like, hey, here's 
a single thing that I can say one name and we all know what, <laughs> what that means. What that means. You know, and it's it's a hard thing and I'm not trying to blow that up into a hole, but uh, I still bring it back to that's why as a church we need to be salt and light. Yeah. And what was God's response or what was his command to us for a lot of things? Pray and fast. Mm-hmm. You know, we see what the judgment is coming. We've seen what the judgment was for those people. If we don't want to go through the same things, pray and fast. Holy, concentrate yourself. Bring the assembly together. Mm-hmm. We know there's injustice in America. Anyone who's listening to this knows there's injustice. And one of the things that God really doesn't like is injustice. Mm-hmm. So pray and fast so that we can, like you said, be salt and light and sweep through this nation. We are the locusts. We are God's army taking out the evil. We are blowing the trumpet in Zion, sounding the alarm on his holy hill, saying, let's go march in the cities. Let's take the walls. Great are those who obey the word of the Lord. Let's go march out and eliminate the evil. If any of you listening are graphic designers that are good at stuff, reach out to us. Because there's sometimes like we get we get said like I don't know just we are the locusts and yeah. it's like, we throw that on like a mug or a shirt yeah, we are like, the I don't locusts. Know. Yeah, um, that'd be maybe that's cool. not the best thing, but just different things. Yeah, I'm just it would be cool to create some stuff with you. So I'm gonna end off on that. I don't yeah. know. That was a, that was a departure from where we we're going, but let's wrap up. I am Chris. I'm your the. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Amen.